Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio, second Wednesday books and author shows with our friends, Books Forward. We love them. We've been working with them for a gazillion years, and we're all much younger today. Uh, today, we're actually having a fancy, uh, it's a fancy day. It's, we have four authors, uh, a little mini new book festival, and one of the authors is George Franklin. That's a good name, right? George Franklin. It's very, you know, you might, are you related to Ben? Like, well, I, I, I'm not, but I can claim to be if you want me to. That's hey, fine. well, he was a writer. He started the first almanac and, and apparently it was kind of a, and it was supposed to be entertainment. And then it turned into something that people really read for, um, farming and stuff, you know, right, like real right. stuff. but he, he was full of satire. So that's why I thought you guys might be related, but I'm very excited to have you on the show, George. Um, you've got your latest book out. It's called A Feeding Frenzy in Washington. And it is so much fun to read and it reads really fast and their characters are strong and you are, it, I think we need this now more than ever because a lot of us are incredibly frustrated with what's going on in, in politics in our country and other parts of the world. And I think we have to have some humor because you can't just, you know, get too, too mad, even though we should be mad at certain well, things. So you know well, what first, I mean? Sure. And first of all, th- thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. And and you're right on. I wrote the book. I thought it's time. Let's all stand back and laugh a little bit at ourselves. Uh, somehow the, the nation's going to survive. Sometimes we wonder how it's going to survive when you see Congress and who's there and what they do. But we, we managed to survive. And I think a little bit of humor uh, is really in order now. And it's bipartisan humor. I make fun of Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. I sort of got them all in there. And uh, the, the characters are composite. I spent almost all of my professional career, lawyer, lobbyist, uh, representing the food industry. Mm-hmm. And I went back. I've represented the Soft Drink Association. I represented McDonald's. I represented wow. Kellogg. Uh, and, and I just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... Get outside the, the beltway that surrounds Washington and look back in and just keep, give people, um, an idea of what goes on in Washington in a humorous fashion. And there, and Lisa, I have to tell you, there's a thread of reality throughout the book, which mm-hmm. I've tried to maintain, even though it might sound, um, you know, sometimes you wonder, could this possibly be? Oh, well, it's yeah. not all that far fetched. No, no, not at all. Um, but I mean, there's really, you, your characters are, um, you, you just get right in from page one. They're just so real and rich. And yet at the same time, we, you know, we've done so many shows on politics, especially when it comes to public land. That's been a, a big thing that we've done and, and a whole bunch of other issues. And, um, I remember one we were doing, we did a series, um, with Ocean Champions and, uh, they're a nonprofit that raises funds to, uh, for political campaigns so that they back people that were about ocean, you know, clean oceans, um, sure. making sure that fishing, um, you know, that the fishing industry was healthy and they worked with commercial fishermen to make this happen and, and things like that. So I remember shows way back when, when we did these live broadcasts where, 
there were actual politicians and congressmen, especially in Florida. Oh, oh I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> and they were listen. And so we had to like, you know, we were, you know, just, it didn't, they worked with Republicans and Democrats, ocean champions, but there were there, they would listen, some of them. And to hear what the representative, it was usually Mike Denmeyer, who's, who's now, um, in wind, uh, us wind, uh, and um, wind energy, but they would listen to him and try and plot attacks according to what he said on our shows. It well, was crazy. You, well, and you, it, you are right. You are right on when you when you mentioned from sort of from the get go um, about the about the characters. And it's interesting you mentioned Florida because the first character mm-hmm. I bring <laughs> up is a is a congressman named Mickey Gertz, who who's uh, who might remind you of a current congressman. But Mickey Gertz, yes. but I also talked about the pork chop gang. Well, I worked in the Florida Senate. I worked in the Florida Senate between wow. college and law school. And there was a group called the pork chop gang. And they represented the panhandle of Florida. They were all conservative Democrats. It was the greatest collection of scallywags and scoundrels I'd ever seen assembled anywhere. And, and the fact that the pork chop gang existed, they operated as such. As I say in the book, they were able to lather their districts with uh, pork in their pockets at the same time. And uh, so once again, going back to there's a thread of reality from the very first page, uh, there's some realism to the book built around these fictitious characters and these fictitious stories. Well, one of the characters that I thought was interesting, especially because it connects to your history in, in Kellogg and, and everyone, I, I need to back up a little bit uh, and reintroduce George a little bit because George has quite a uh, life. Um, he's a lawyer, a lobbyist. Yes, he knows about lobbying. And when you read this book, you're going to, yeah, it's the nitty gritty. Um, it's the nitty gritty dirt band wrote this, right? Um, right. he was a businessman, candidate, speaker, author. Um, and he's also written some other books too. We can do Raisin Bran and other serial wars. Um, one is So You Think You Want to Run for Congress, which he did, um, which we want to talk about and incentives, the holy water of free enterprise. And so the latest one is again, a feeding frenzy in Washington. It comes out September 15th. So go pre-order. If you're listening, um, today is the uh, second Wednesday. Um, but it's out and you can go to georgefranklinauthor.com too for that. But, um, just kind of going back into these characters, you know, one of the, I, I find this really fascinating because when you look at how advertising and marketing works and branding, right? And how right. like, okay, you've got, you've got your dude in Florida, Mickey Gertz and, and his dad and, and, and son and everybody how they played games and, and started doing lawsuits against others just out of like, it's like this giant game, right? But advertising and branding plays this massive factor, especially when you get to Lizzie Pendergast. By the way, great names. You come up with really good names. And I <laughs> thought she was really interesting in regards to getting into even how food works. And that ties into you with, with, you know, Kellogg's and Pop-Tarts and, and just how um, marketing, well, you know, there's a marketing thing that goes well, in on well, this, right? And there's, um, I mentioned in there, I, I raised the activities of, there's a, the characters in there that represent what's now called Consumer Brands Association. It used to be called the grocery manufacturers. 
And then there's the Farm uh, Bureau, American Farm Bureau. And then there's what's now called FMI, which stands for the Food Marketing Institute. Well, those are the three legs of the stool that create the food that, that we enjoy in this country. It's the farmers that grow it, represented by the Farm Bureau. It's the food manufacturers, the Kellogg's of the world and others. And then it's the retailers, the grocery stores, the food marketing people that sell it to us. And so those three entities are powerful factors in Washington affecting food policy. They affect the food we eat, the cost of the food, the safety of the food. They impact our everyday lives more than most people can imagine. Mm-hmm. So once again, they're fictitious characters, but my basis for putting them in the book is they are the main players in the Washington world of food policy, and they affect all of us every day when we walk into the grocery store. Wow. Wow. And then when you think about campaign contributions, like I remember, I think they started doing this like um, certain entities weren't didn't have to release their campaign contributions. One of them being the Humane Society, which I thought was weird. The NRA. Um, there was a couple nonprofits in there, and certain companies didn't have to say what they were doing. Does does that play a, a game in all of this in in politics? Is those contributions? And when you think about food, it's like, hey, here I'm going to you know give you this over here. You're going to do this. It's going to look really good, and then you know. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, you know, you mentioned in my introduction, which is very gracious of you. I, I did run for Congress. I ran the Democratic primary. I found out if you come in second out of six, it doesn't work. But I wrote, I wrote a book mm-hmm. about it uh, to, to talk about what it's really like to run for Congress. I enjoyed campaigning. I enjoyed being in people's living rooms. I enjoyed the give and take of policy discussion. I hate it, as most politicians did, raising money. It is, mm. it is got all. It is just, I, and I don't know, given the court decisions, there's no way to, to really stop it. But you spend an inordinate amount of time raising money so you can get basically on television. I know everybody talks about the internet and social media and all this stuff. Well, the big gorilla is still that television box in your living room. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's still, that's still the big gorilla. And, uh, it costs money. It costs money to communicate your message. And you can, you know, you can pretend like it doesn't exist. You can pretend like that's not the real world, but it is the real world. And, uh, mm-hmm. the other, the other yeah. thing I wrote, uh, just a little bit change of, of, of tact here. You mentioned my first book is called Raisin Brand and Other Cereal Wars. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, it was interesting because I was the vice president of worldwide government affairs of Kellogg Company for years. And I worked with a lot of really smart people that had degrees from very fine institutions. They had MBAs from, you know, fancy schools. But the one thing they didn't know, seem to know anything about was government relations. So I called the dean of the business school and I asked her, I said, do you teach government relations? And she said, mm. well, no, that's political science. And I said, well, every, con- every major company in the United States has a government relations department 
mm-hmm. just like they have sales, finance, and marketing. Mm-hmm. Yet yeah, business schools, they don't teach it. They just, once again, they pretend like it doesn't exist. So I wrote the book to tell people what lobbyists really do as opposed to what they think they do. You know, I, I, I have to read all your books now because even just in school, like I think it should be taught in high school even. And it, it's because like Chambers of Commerce has government affairs and that's actually like when the main, I know they do networking and events and all kinds of cool things, right? right. And marketing for businesses, but really government affairs is where it started. It was like, you know, protecting the business, small business owner and, and, you know, the business owners and the, you know, the corporations and everything and having, they had lobby groups in the, in the chambers of commerce. And that's a huge role of it. And I think that's the only way we really hear about it in, in smaller communities sometimes is that. And I just think it should be part of school. I don't know, maybe because I was raised in different countries. Uh, I mean, I went, I graduated in, in South Africa. So like, go, let's, let's get into South African politics. That's a little messy, but, but you know, I'm starting to feel like our country is getting a little like messy like that. Um, and I think what, what I find interesting about your book is I, you know, the, the feeding frenzy in, you know, in Washington is I'm hoping, you know, for a little humor, a little education, like you're saying, but, I'm really fearful for our young, you know, young adults that are coming up and feeling really like there, there's a hopelessness feeling, um, that is happening. Like, okay, we're dealing with climate change. We're dealing with major issues in this country. And they're looking up at the so-called leaders going, are you even a leader? It used to be as a kid, Hey, you know, my child's going to be president, you know, that kind of thing. Do people even want that anymore? What is the younger generation going to feel? And I think from your book, it kind of, I don't know, there's like a, you've, you're like a conduit to kind of, yeah, let me give you the, the reality, but I'm going to make you laugh and I'm going to make you think. And, um, there's also just like hope, like get in it. You know, when you see well, a good fight, well, get in it. You, well, you know, you really nailed it when you mentioned about small business. And, um, when I wrote the Raisin Brand book, the first one, there was a very successful sort of moderate Republican businessman in Kalamazoo. who was a friend of mine. He was a very successful restaurant owner. And he laughed. He told me, he said, well, the first thing you do in business is government affairs. And I said, what Mm -hmm. do you mean? He said, well, you go down and get a business license. He said, you can't do anything until you go get a license. He said, you just went in the government affairs business because it's going to cost you something or you had to qualify or something. And sure, it was very simplistic, but it was a very interesting observation back to what you're saying in a small community, the Chamber of Commerce, everybody's in the government affairs business. Mm -hmm. And so uh, whether you like it or not, whether you want to be or not, that's the reality. Um, Flipping flipping to your latter, latter comment, one of the things that you used to always get a kick out of business people would go, why don't they just do the right thing? You know, why, why don't they go to Washington? They just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, because there are a lot of people that have a different version of the right thing than what is your version. And it always struck me when I was a young staffer on Capitol Hill, 
how what seemed like something very simple and straightforward could quickly become complicated. Mm-hmm. Because there's always somebody on the other side. Now, <clears throat> I'm not talking about whack jobs and, you know, nutcases. I'm talking about, you know, legitimate people with legitimate issues and concerns. And it's mm-hmm. always struck me, you know, to say the sun rises in the east. Well, someone will say, well, maybe, but have you ever thought about blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it's never that simple. And I think no. what we've lost is people are approaching these policy issues with, as zealots and they're so dogmatic about what is right or wrong, they're not willing to listen to the other people. And it, it, this, the system requires compromise because the cowboy from Montana doesn't have a hell of a lot in common with a Hispanic from Harvard. Mm-hmm. But, but somehow we got to all get together and get along. And so compromise is not a dirty word. It's, no. it's, a, it's a requirement to make the system work. And you have to have mm-hmm. an open mind to other people and a respect for other people. Mm-hmm. So, but, but what I do in Feeding Frenzy is I'm, I'm glad you found it humorous because I'm, I'm, I'm giving people a chance to laugh at themselves because I think they're going to see in the different characters reflections of themselves. Mm-hmm. At least of the politicians that we have in D.C. now, they'll they'll read in that that looks like so and so, and he looks like so and so, and but let's all laugh a little bit at at where we are and where we're going, and just calm down for a minute. Yeah, I think you know, I know that politicians have been giving comedians fodder for years, and some years it gets really good, um, but it's it's sometimes you know we need the comedy. And I know there's many people who want to shut comedians up, which I'm completely against. I think, you know, if you want to go hear a comedian, they say something you don't like, just leave and whatever. But people need to have that humor to be able to move on. You know, it's like, I can't tell you, I've been to funerals of really close loved ones. And, you know, Nancy and I will get the giggles, not out of anything rude. Um, Yeah, there's a little... A bit of like that hysteria, that emotional, you need that emotional release because you're that upset. But laughter is something that calms things down and actually brings you back home to, to the home plate, basically, where you can start gathering up. Okay. Release and to release that emotional energy, um, whether it's anger, you know, frustration, it's better than releasing it through heightened anger and heightened frustration. And well, then start making a game plan and, and start in your own backyards. Actually, at this point, I think we have to really go more local as well of, of understanding our the local government, you know? Well, it, you know, good politicians usually are, are pretty good comedians. I always used to like Bob Dole. Yeah. Bob Dole used to, after he lost. George the, Bush was hysterical, you know, he was pretty well, funny. Well, Bob Dole, after he lost his race for president, they said, how is he doing? He said, well, I went home and slept like a baby. I woke up every hour and cried. And then <laughs> Ed Koch, some of your listeners might remember Ed Koch. He was the mayor of New mm-hmm. York. And uh, he'd been a congressman and then became mayor of New York. He was a funny guy. He used to say, if you agree with me on nine of 12 issues, vote for me. If you agree with me on 12 of 12, go see a psychiatrist. And so <laughs> I like that. You know, you got to, you know, everybody's got a different version and everybody's got to learn to live together and 
let, let's open their minds a little bit to other people's viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the actual mudslinging because that is, it does get dirty in there. And what, what is that like? Cause you do cover that in the book. Uh, again, everyone, a freeding frenzy, frenzy in Washington. So it just, you could have just called it DC and it, you know, it's the same thing, you know, if we yeah, think of right. it, but, but it is kind of, it's a great title, um, a, a feeding frenzy, but, um, it is like that. And there is like, there's dirty jabs. Like even when you're talking about getting on TV and doing those commercials, it's like, majority of the commercials, I would say about 80, maybe 90% are like attacking the opponent instead of actually getting to the root of what you're trying to get people to vote for. It's like, vote for me because that person sucks. And I think we're getting a little tired of that as, as the populace, like, can we actually hear the real thing? You know, but, but the problem is, first of all, you have what's called oppo research is the shorthand for opposition research, oppo research. And so everybody does oppo research on all the candidates. And unless mm-hmm. you've lived in some sort of a hermetically sealed bag and you're over 25, there's going to be something to attack you with. Mm-hmm. And they will attack you. And uh, it usually stretches the truth. It doesn't matter if it's true. But once you're attacked, you're guilty. That's that's it. All right. You run the ad. You, you can refute it all you want. You can provide all the evidence you want. And the reason politicians keep doing it is because it works. Mm-hmm. That's the sad part. You you go out and take a poll of the American public. I'll bet 80% of the people would say just, just what you're saying. I'm sick of all this negative advertising. Get rid of it. Be positive. Tell me what your future looks like for the country, where you stand on policy issues, which everybody would would uh, would say that. But as a practical matter in the campaign, the attack ads work. And it reminds me a little bit, actually, in the food industry. We used to do what were called market basket surveys. And you'd stand mm-hmm. outside a grocery store. And, I remember uh, these, yeah. Yeah, someone, customer would go in and say, what do you want? And they said, well, I want less sugar, less fat, less salt, high fiber, high protein. You know, they rattle off all the do-good buzzwords of the day. And then when that same person left, you'd look in the basket what they bought. And there was often little, if any, correlation between what they bought and what they said they wanted. <laughs> and so we've got that in the political world. And mm. people, I'm with you. I hate all this negative advertising. They they attacked me when I ran. I was a corporate lobbyist and I was a corporate this and that. And, um, but, it, you know, it's it works. That's the problem. Well, do you think it works because human brains go to the negative before the positive? It's just how we're wired. I mean, there's actual like life coaches that train your brain, you know, to go positive instead of negative. And we kind of, I don't know. And it, and it also is a familiarity. Maybe if you already don't like a, a different politician, right? You yep. just, you, yep. every time someone just nails them, you're like, yeah, yeah. And then I like you because you don't like that person. It's like a, it becomes like almost a team sport, really. Well, and, and I, I'm not sure if this is really on track, but I always thought it was interesting when I was in college. I was a, a journalism major for a while. And there, there's an interesting phenomenon when people buy a product after they've bought the product, they read the ads for that product to reinforce what they've done. 
So for instance, you go off and buy a new F-150 Ford mm-hmm. uh, truck. Mm-hmm. You, only, you already own the truck. You have it at home. But you'll read the ads for that truck because it tells you how smart you are. Right? Because it reinforces you what did this, done. yeah, and and you're the person going off and on the rugged roads because you got this car, but I'm the rugged man. You know right. what I mean? Like right. I'm I'm I you know I'm not scared about snakes and stuff like that right. out in the woods. I'm out there in this car, and that therefore I'm I'm Mach, that. I'm macho man. I'm macho man. Yeah, they, well done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's so understanding all of that in the marketing and how people think writing your books and coming up with characters, their names are even hysterical and, and how, like who they are, like, you know, you introduce the characters so quickly. Does this come from, and like you get who they are and then it's like, Oh my gosh. And your eyes just keep getting wider as you're reading. You're like, no way, dude. You know? And that's why Nancy and I say, this has to be like a TV series or something, you know? Um, You know, a lot of character, the characters are just, they're too good, man. They're just so delicious. <laughs> like they're fun. Yet, even exactly. if you don't like them, you, you're like, dude, no way. And then you can pick out people, um, whether it's, you know, uh, national politics or your backyard, par- because backyard skirmishes are pretty good too. And that's, you know, where we all get started. Um, so it's, it to me is really interesting. Does it come from your background of? Yeah. That communication, yeah. get it short, get it sweet. Don't be, you, cause you're not a long-winded writer. You're in it. As soon as you're in, you're in. It's like, don't disturb well, me. I'm, I need to finish this book. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it's a, um, it, I think it comes from being a lobbyist and you, you always had to, you use what you would call a one pager when you went in to see a member of Congress, Senator, uh, and the one pager would be, mm an outline of the issue, uh, you know, what the legislation was, why they should be for you. And it was like a rule of thumb. You had to have a one pager. And the characters in the book are one pagers of people, groups. Of, and for instance, I have Lucy, Lucy Sprout is a congresswoman mm-hmm. from California. Well, she might remind you a little bit of a, well-known congresswoman from New York. He might remind you of a senator from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. He might remind you of some of her colleagues from California. And what I've done is sort of cut and pasted and put people together based on real people I met and real episodes. I, I have in there uh, the, the lead lobbyist is P.J. Snakeboot Jackson. Okay. I love it. He's he's a composite of two or three big time lobbyists I knew over the years. And he, he gets into some funny episodes. Well, each episode was really a real event that one or a few of these lobbyists I observed or saw or heard or and just, you know, I got a laugh out of the time and I just sort of parked it away in the back of my head. Mm. Um, but the, but it's it's real stuff from Washington, put in fictional form. So yeah, tell tell us in regards to the book, um, writing fiction so that you aren't hurting people's feelings, but you have good stories. Yeah, and what I've done with the characters is I, I keep using the word composite because that's what it is. They're, I've put together different 
political characters I've observed over my years of lobbying and put them together into fictional people, but sort of the, this, the, the, um, the activities and the verbiage and the actions are, it's sort of real life in fictional people because I've mm. pulled them together. So I've taken the attributes or the negatives, if you wanted, of, of a lot of people and I've gathered them together. So when you read these characters, they're not far from reality. They're bits and pieces of real people that were real politicians and real activities that mm. went on in and around Washington over my 30 some years there. Wow. It's, it's, it's so fascinating too. Um, because I don't even wonder about like if people just, you know, getting breakfast cereal in the mornings, right? Realize like going back to having this government organization for Kellogg's, like, oh, a world government? Like what, what are they doing with government? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. how many people even recognize this and how much goes on in every industry, right? Um, every there's lobbyists. Industry. Every, every industry. industry has a lobbyist and. You got it. Every special interest has a lobbyist. And I think lobbyists are, I want to go to this in a, in a way that. Could, could I just interject smart. one? They're really smart. Go ahead. You, go ahead. You use the term special interest. And I, yes, I, I, I just have to say that that is a term that is used continuously and means nothing because everybody is a special interest. Ah, good one. The NRA, whether you're rifles or restaurants, is a special interest. The Sierra mm -hmm. Club is a special interest. Mm -hmm. The American Petroleum Institute is a special interest. Mm. The reason they're there is their special interest. You use the term special interest when you want to be pejorative to the person opposing you. That's, ah. that's a special interest. If oh, this is so much you, fun. They're oh. a special interest. If they're on your side, they're truth, justice, and the American way. So I'm, oh. I'm sorry. I just, and, and let me. No, just no, I'm loving this. Let, no, let no, I'm loving this. Other aspect. The one I love is pro business. I was the head of government relations for one of the major, arguably major companies in the world, and I usually don't know what that means. And let me give you an example. If people know what the Export Import Bank is, Export Import Bank is. The short version is the U.S. government lends money to companies overseas mm -hmm. to buy American products. So that's pro-business. That's, you know, that's, that's great. If you're Boeing and Air France and Air Lingus are getting this cheap money and they're buying Boeing airplanes, that, that's, that's pro-business. It's not pro-business if you're Delta Airlines. Right. Delta Airlines adamantly opposes you. They say, why in the world are you subsidizing our competition. Mm -hmm. So pro-business, I don't know what it is. I well, know, you okay, know, when President yeah. Trump put in the tariff on solar panels from China, mm -hmm. he said, well, that, that's pro-business. That's going to help American solar panel manufacturers compete with Chinese. It's not pro-business if you're a solar panel installing company. Because what it did is made solar panels more expensive and hence less were being installed. Mm -hmm. So, so well, this is well when you think about all the bank bailouts, right? And then how the government sure. is working with banks now because of other banks taking over banks that are crumbling and just closing their doors. And it's like he, you know, we're, we're, 
we're getting to a point where uh, Nancy and I sit and look at this all the time and, and please, you, you definitely are, you know, more about this than we will ever know, but it's, um, we look at this as where we're going to end up in, even in the internet, right? Um, the internet is basically becoming one company and you see one company going in. They're called the endurance group. Everyone check them out. Um, all your main website hosting platforms. If you start to look at the fine print, you'll find the endurance group pretty much owns them. And it goes, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a very interesting thing that we see and, and we're seeing it in banking. We're seeing it in major companies where monopolies are really, I, I think we're flourishing in, in that. We could be called, you know, America of monopolization. We are playing the game. And, um, it, yeah, it's a very weird thing when you start to look at these companies and, um, you can see it in oil. Um, Nancy and I did a show on the Dakota Access Pipeline when that was happening with the Native Americans and, and CNN hadn't done anything yet, you know, um, uh, Amy from Democracy Now had just been arrested or was about to be arrested. And she was there when, um, we decided to set dogs on pregnant women that were chained to bulldozers on their tribal uh, burial grounds. And so all of this is going on. It was high drama and it was a Labor Day weekend. You know how things get passed over. Memorial Day, Fourth of July weekend, oh, yeah. um, Labor Day is always a good that's time. In the book, it's in the book, it's in there, right? And and so no one was covering this, and we're like, sure, we'll do a show. Like we can do whatever we want. Let's do it. Well, then we started digging in to oil leases and found out all these shell corporations, including Shell, um, being you know all these companies, and they were all owned owned by banks. And then you started going into the banks, and then realizing the banks owned each other. It was this, and then I started calling oil lawyers, which was the worst thing to do. They don't want to go against what's going on. It was crazy, like what we went down this rabbit hole of silliness. And it's not silliness. It it really does affect people, um, what's going on. But that was when we started to really understand that this country is really geared towards a lot of monopolization. And that is something very scary to us, you know. Well, what, so, one, of the, one, of, one of the main themes of a feeding frenzy is there, I talk about, you know, there's, there's PJ's trying to get some money placed into a huge appropriations bill, the agricultural appropriations bill, which is usually about $27 billion, and get it tucked away there early and then wait until they don't meet the deadline for getting all the appropriations bills and they put it together in what's called the omnibus appropriations bill. And it's the little money he's got tucked in there, never gets noticed, never gets debated, never gets considered, but just becomes part of this huge $1.7 trillion package that passes and nobody knows what's in it. Well, this has been going on for 20 some years. This is exactly what's going on right now mm-hmm. in Congress, right this mm-hmm. very day, because mm-hmm. the ag appropriations bill has not mm-hmm. been completed, nor have the other 11 appropriations bills been completed. And what's going to end up is October 1st is the end of the fiscal year. And you know they're threatening the government's going to shut down. Oh, another shutdown, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. another shutdown. But at the end of the day, there's going to be some huge government running and 
we all think this is new. Well, it's all routine. And once again, this thread of reality in the book, um, you know, PJ is going to get $5 million put into the agriculture appropriations bill for the cricket consortium when it's in the mm-hmm. subcommittee. And you just hang on until this huge omnibus bill gets passed a few months later and no one knows nor cares about that provision except the people that benefited from it. Right. And I mean, it's total it, that, reality. But that, that is exactly it. Whereas you think, you think like if you're going to vote for a specific thing, okay, we want clean water. Let's put it, you know, I actually remember the Clean Water Act, I think was on the back of a credit card act. Like there was credit cards. Yeah. There was this, like this omnibus, like you're talking about. It, and I'm going, this doesn't make sense. And, and all the lobbyists we had on our shows were like, Oh no, but this is how it works. I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, you know, and it doesn't, it like you're saying it doesn't, it, it, it is in, and that's a really hard thing to swallow because you don't, you want it to make sense as a regular citizen, not playing lobbying, but you, the lobbyists, and I wanted to go back to that because lobbyists are very smart individuals and people don't like car sale and you have car salesmen in, in, in this too, but people don't like car people or salespeople. And I think they are, and it's a fear thing because it's like, oh, how do they, they're going to get my weaknesses or whatever. It's almost like we're the, the devil, you know, and I find sales to be a very, um, underrated, like nothing happens in the world without a sale, period. Right. right. That's something right. I learned very, you know, like young. And at the same time, a salesperson is like a journalist trying to get the information to be able to solve a problem or to, you know, communicate well, uh, better. Uh, uh, all a lobbyist is is a salesperson. Yeah, exactly. There's no difference, and, and, and they're smart, and, and but they know how to sling back on the other side. It's like, yeah, you know, you're a sales. They, the Kellogg sales guys used to always kid me. They say, "Hell, Franklin, you, you should just be with us. You're a salesperson. That's what you mm-hmm. do. You're 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 selling ideas and advancing causes, and it's salesmanship." One thing I will though, um, sort of contradict the same, the, the notion that, you know, lobbyists have a reputation of being sort of sleight of hand and you know, conniving sort of people. The reality of a good lobbyist is they have to be trustworthy, candid, and someone people can rely on. Because yeah. you can pull a fast one one time on a politician. But if you do it and you mislead him or her, if you sell them a bill of goods, you're going to be out of business mm-hmm. because they have to trust you. They they have to believe what you are telling them they can rely on. Mm-hmm. And so this notion, the, the notion of what lobbyists, what they're like is quite different than the reality of what really good lobbyists and it's relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, all of it is based on relationships. And, trust. you know, it's like, um, and I want to ask you about that, about you running for Congress and, you know, you have relationships and it's hard when you get, you know, things. I mean, you have to have that, you know, water off the duck's back attitude. Yet it's yeah. a very, that's a hard thing to swallow for anyone, really. You know, it's a hard thing. So. What was that like? Even if well, you know yeah. you're competing with a friend, right? And you have that in your book too. Like friends will compete 
yet hot yet get dirty and it's like how do we like go have a cocktail together afterwards you know well running for office was the most exhausting undertaking i ever did i mean it was exhausting and the um um you know it was it, it just wore you out and like i said i enjoyed the actual campaigning part i hated raising the money um but i I was just disappointed in the sort of the viciousness of it. Back to your your point, I mean, when people start attacking you, and 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 hell, I was just in the primary. I hadn't even gotten to the general. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it was the most exhausting thing I ever did. But I will say, and I'm emphatic on this, I have the utmost respect for. Anybody, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, libertarian, I don't care what you are, willing to get in the arena. Because yeah. it, it is, it's thankless. Um, like I said, it's exhausting. But if instead of sitting there on the couch with your remote control complaining, mm. people get up and run for office. And they mm -hmm. take the bricks and the bats that come with it. Um, some are successful. Most aren't. Most people don't win. All right. Uh, but I will tell you, I don't care what their politics. I will tell them I at least have respect for them willingness to put that name on the ballot and go out there and run. Okay. Exactly. I think it, it is important and it's important for, um, I think we need new people. I'm going to say that. I, I'd like to have a clean house now. I'm just saying in, in general. And I don't think, and I think a lot of people feel that way, especially the younger generation kind yeah. of looking up going, okay, you know, um, we need some limits. We need some term limits. We need some campaign contribution, you know, is pull it, just stop it, you know, or something. Can't we, then we have, you know, we say, oh, can't we have one channel on TV where everybody can do their thing, but we have C-SPAN and then we see everyone in Congress basically asleep or can't talk. You know, it's getting to a point where I think we have a restlessness and an anger. And even as I'm saying this, I'm starting to feel myself get a little heated because there's a huge disconnect, honestly, between DC and its feeding frenzy. But, it's but, like but, it's like but, a shark but, tank to to what but the, the but, but the problem are. is is us the people. And so I tell people mm -hmm. I'm I'm against term limits, but I'm for term limits. And they say, Well, how can you be that? That's total contradiction. Elections are for term limits. And the problem is, it's always that other Congress person, not your own. That's the problem. Mm. So they keep, you know, if you're a strong Democrat district, you keep sending old Susie Q back and she's there for 35, 40 years. She's okay. She's coming I mean, back. We like her. You know, hell, she, she does a good job. It's those other people. That's those other people. And so the responsibility starts at home it's like earmarks earmarks all right if an earmark comes to your hometown and they rebuild the bridge that's been rickety and falling down that's that's good government that is good government if the earmark goes to some other district that's pork barrel and so the problem resides with the people that go in and vote because mm -hmm. they have the ultimate authority for term limits and and I, you know, I don't, I'm not for term limits because I don't want people telling me who I can and can't vote for. Mm. But 
I do think there is a point at which people have been there too long, overstayed their welcome, and need to yeah. be new some new blood. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, there there is that thing about, um, you know, you can have your family come visit for three days, and afterwards the house starts to smell, you know? Yeah, right, It's like, right. it's time to go. And and that's the thing. And it, I, I love that I... I we have to have topics and conversation. And I'm wondering about your books being used as a way for families to kind of, you know, we're seeing families absolutely torn apart. I mean, brothers, right. sisters, right. Um, parents and kids. I mean, and Nancy and I are in very immersive experiences as we travel. And now it's getting worse. I mean, I would say like even about three, four years ago, we had some grunt disgruntlement but things were getting okay over Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe, you know, we'd have, you know, Aunt Jessie and Uncle Joe get into a little, you know, whiskey and get a little loud and at each other, but that's about it. But now we're seeing actual families torn apart and friendships and close-knit ones, which is really disheartening. So, like, I'm hoping with your books, and especially the latest one, you know, that People will kind of relax a bit, get to understand it, become, like you're saying, don't just be on social media angry and and blabbing off, become more invested as much as you can. And I know it's so hard. That's the thing. It's like, how is a a working mom or dad or be, you know, they're doing all this work to just get food on the table. And then now I'm going to have to sit there and research every politician. It's really getting to a difficult point. But have a little levity. Start understanding the game because it is a giant game, right? It is like a well, big chessboard there. So, and my my books, I love the direction of this conversation because my books are purposely, um, they're not war and peace. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to, you know, educate the, uh, you know, the entire United States on civil procedure and American democracy. But I think there's an educational component of reading about different players and how people act. And once again, laughing at the different people and you're going to see your, your team is going to be in there getting laughed at. Uh, but both teams are getting, all the teams are getting laughed at. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a little bit of uh, it's a little self-serving, but I think there is a educational component that you can sit on an airplane and laugh out loud and read my book and get down and not be overwhelmed by, uh, you know, you feel like you're back in college or something, but it might make you think a little bit about what you just read and who those people mm-hmm. were and, and how they got there and how they stay there. Uh, I mean, I make fun of, you know, doing events, um, lobbyists going out to districts and helping people get elected and uh, for the different causes they're involved with. The other thing I point out is, you know, they, they create these fictional groups in Washington. They do that Americans for food safety or Americans for better television or Americans. Mm-hmm. And they create these entities that are just propaganda arms to promote causes uh, <coughs> that inject themselves into the political campaign. Yep. And as a voter, you got to take that stuff with a grain of salt. It's, it's, Bias advertising, which all advertising is, is bias is trying to sell you something. But you need to be aware of these these entities that are created, given patriotic names 
who are they really and what's behind them and what are they really selling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's nonprofits. A lot of them are nonprofits. And oh, yeah. it's like yeah. it's it's like those shell companies I was talking about with you know the Dakota Access Pipeline. We found all these empty company like empty. It's it's just it's just to get things on paper. It's shuffling and promoting, and it's just another way of over oh, this you know. And um, I could go into it, especially I now behave because then that's a whole other radio show and craziness. But. I know, I know, I'm real close. I mean, when you dropped off there, I went, uh-oh, what did I say? I didn't even get to that point yet. <laughs> but, but, you know. I got it's, pretty it's, sick, kid, and actually you're a delight to talk with, so this is fun. Oh, this is fun, you know, and that's the thing, you know, getting people to maybe laugh about it and maybe if if a family can read your book and come together over reading it and laughing at both parties or, you know, I'm sick of this both party thing too. Um, you know, whatever party you're in, you know, we like to party, but I don't want to be closed into anything. Like I don't, I'm Nancy and I are always, people are like, Oh, you're raging this. You're raging that sometimes apparently we're conservative and the next day we're a raging liberal or Democrat. It's just because we go yeah. by issue. Right. And it's like, yeah. we, and we the, go and by the label. Issue. The labels can be so misleading. That's why I always try to bring out that about pro business and special interests and, um, I'm, I'm glad you said that about special interest because it's it's kind of like oh it the same thing is um uh privileges like social security being a privilege right. I'm like no people pay into social security it is not a privilege the government has been making interest off of our social security payments and the yeah. people laugh I have friends who are saying Lisa thank you so much because you're you're whatever you're putting in in taxes you're paying my social security right now thank you and I'm like oh that's you're, you're welcome you know you're my friend I love you but you know, it's not a privilege. And these words do get tossed around in special interest. My thing is, how do we say, okay, here's the people, here's the, what is, how do we say like, okay, yeah, you're right. No matter how you look at it, it's all a special interest because whether it's the environment or if it's a gun law, if it's, you know, it is all about, it's all special interests. Yeah, you're right. And we'll create I, you know, special like interests, right? The, the, I like to use the play on the NRA. Because mm-hmm. everybody says, well, oh, National Rifle Association, if you're, you know, Republican, it's like, oh, those are wonderful people. And if you're Democrat, oh, those are dastardly people. Well, there's also the National Restaurant Association. So, I mean, they're, they're, when you say NRA, it's a special interest. It goes everywhere from restaurants to rifles. And it, that, that's what goes on in Washington. And, and everybody there, whatever their, their primary interest, they are, by definition, a special interest. And you want those people fighting for you. I mean, we've done a lot of shows on with lobbyists who stood up for, like, um, you know, wildlife trafficking and and things like that. And, man, I've watched, you know, I have a, a friend who sadly has passed who, who did the, the D.C. stuff and also got his hands dirty out in Africa and around the world. And, and we watched a debate with him um and I, 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 every year or two, I rewatch this debate of his. He's a little guy and he got up there, man. And he, I just, I, it is, it is a piece of art to watch a good debate. It is, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's about being a good listener and being on it and knowing your stuff. A good lobbyist 
is so valuable. And, and it's true. It's like a salesperson, right? A good salesperson is you're representing that company, that product, that special interest, however you want to call it, right. and is out there. And to be able to field things, yeah, mud slings at you. Well, how are you going to sling back? Are you going to take a duck, be kind and figure things out? I mean, you have to be able to know everything on your toes. You have to eat, sleep, drink it, right? To be able to be but that I good. Remember, I remember one time, here's a real life example. Um, and the, the, the title of my first book, Raisin Bran and Other Serial Wars. And I won't get into all the details, but it was, it was about Raisin Bran being in a big federal program. And so there was a consumer group that was opposed to us being part of that. Well, mm. The late Senator Carl Levin, who everyone, Republican and Democrat, would agree is probably one of the most thoughtful senators anybody had ever run into with great integrity. Um, he, he called me up and he said, you know, this consumer group is saying, you know, it shouldn't be in this program. And he said, can you come up here and meet with me in my office with the guy from the consumer group? I want to hear this out. So I went up to Senator Levin's office and sat in his office. And uh, there was a, a guy from the Center for Budget Priorities, I think, which is, you know, a liberal consumer group. And it was me, this guy, Senator Levin, and Senator Levin's chief of staff. And we had a debate. We were in there for an hour. And it was like, I was saying why we ought to be, what was, you know, what made sense, blah, blah, blah. The other guy, he's a very decent, honorable guy. He presented his case. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily for me, on um, this particular one, at the end, uh, you know, Senator Levin looked at the other guy and he said, you know, I'm sorry, I- I'm with the company on this one. You know, I, I just don't know why they're not in there. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's, that is a true life story. And we sat in there and had a little mini, I don't call it mini, it was a debate between me and this other guy, Senator Levin sitting there listening so he could hear the facts and make a decision. Well, I, um, I, you know, and I love to hear that because you want to hear that that happens, you know, because I think we get to this point of like, are they shuffling papers up there? You know, what are they doing really? And, well, and the Lisa, meetings. Let me, let me give you another yeah. one where we lost on that. And it was actually, actually it was against Senator Levin. It was the, the big Reagan tax bill of 19 million dollars Kellogg would save, you know, with the tax reduction. And so I went in with our CEO to see Senator Levin. And we met with him and at the end of the meeting he said, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I just I just can't support this bill. So we and we came back a month later before the vote. And once again, it was our CEO, me, Senator Levin, and his tax person. And we sat for an hour, you know, trying to persuade him to support the tax bill. And at the end, he said, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I just, I can't go with you on this one. You know, I can't, I, I just don't. So he was one of the few that voted against it. But the interesting thing was our, our then CEO, who was a staunch Republican, we were coming back from Washington. And he said, you know, I really like that guy, though. You know, I, mm. he, at least he listened. We had a chance to debate it. He's up front with you about where he is. Um, and so those little episodes are what people don't realize go on that are a healthy part of Washington, that's a healthy part about lobbying. Um, 
but those, you know, those, those are real, real activities, real people, real stories that took place. Yeah. And, and I think that's important that people do know that because it feels like it's like a bunch of meetings and they're like, oh, they're still meeting over this and that. And then we're just like, oh, just get on with it. Right. You're just as a, you know, the regular citizen and consumer, you're just well, like, like, get like on I'm with saying, it. Oh, just do what's right. Yeah. Remember I was talking about that earlier. Yeah. It, well, it, we've come full circle. We did good. <laughs> your, 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 your version of what's right isn't necessarily the other person's version mm-hmm. of what's right. That's- yeah, you have to duke it out. And I just, I hope we get to this point of not a, a shutdown on every darn thing, you know, because it yeah. really does cripple our economy. And, you know, it, it hurts, you know, federal employees that, you know, I'm sick of parks being closed over it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah your parks just, are the first thing to get closed. I know they are. And we've been through them. We, you know, um, when we started our tour is in 2012, our Love Your Parks tour, we called it the Spirit of America tour. And then because of some other political names, we had to change our name, um, things that were going on. And um, then we went on the road 100%. And when we did that, boom, two of our main destinations we were covering, which we still do, Yosemite area, Sequoias, they had major wildfires. And then the government shutdown happened on top of them from wildfires to shutdowns. It was so crippling to their economy at the most Worst time, like October 1st. I remember it. It was October 1st. And Nancy and I went to the park, I think the day before, because we had this feeling it really was going to happen, and it did. And we were like, we better get in there, get whatever fall footage we could get. And it, and, and as, as soon as it happened, we started doing shows and promoting the area, saying, go to the towns, go to, you know, go to the actual towns. You know, if you can't go to the parks, you can go here doing damage control because we were doing damage control from the fires and stuff that were happening. And it just, it was like, this was their one little chance to get money back into the small towns, you know, before snow time, you know, and um, that was brutal because that, yeah. I remember that shutdown. I think it lasted almost like three weeks or something back. To, I think that was 2013, 2014. Um, okay. And it lasted a while and it, really hurt and i think you know when you're on that side of how that affects small business and it moves down i mean i know you know we survive on advertising and that didn't help our people and that didn't help yeah. us we were getting a little pissy about what was going on in, in dc and we're like yeah. okay you know you suck with what you're doing and you if you're going to I don't, there just has to be, like, can we put a time limit on the debates and, and the arguing? Like, you need to get your point in at this point. Like, I almost feel like it should be like a TV see, debate because see, then you there, have a time there's, limit. There's the difference between the House and the Senate, which people don't understand. And when the House, when legislation goes to the floor, it gets what's called a rule. It goes to the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee will tell each side how long they have to debate. So they'll say, okay, the proponents get an hour and the opponents get an hour and then there's an hour of closing. And, but there's a set time limit set by a rule that controls how long the bill can be on the floor. The Senate does not have that. The Senate has no time limit. That's why you can have one person get up and filibuster. That's why you can have this debate that drags on endlessly. Yeah, well, it needs to end. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, that, that, that would need a change in the rules. And actually it is brought up often. But then what happens is 
you say, okay, we're in the majority. Let's say you're the Democrats and you're in the majority. So you control, control everything. And then you say, well, let's put a, you know, let's put a limit on debate. Well, the people not in the majority say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the only way we get to stop stuff. We get to derail it. And so depending on who's up and who's down, well, when the Democrats are in the minority, they think endless debate is a pretty good thing mm. because they get to stop the Republicans from doing what they don't want them to do. So it, it just flip-flops who's on top. And so- yeah. You know, people say, well, you know, watch out what you wish for, because right now the Democrats got what, two votes or one vote or whatever it is, you know, but they, they got the majority. So they, they think ending debate was probably a pretty good idea. But wait until after the next election when the Republicans have one or two more. And then those same groups that thought ending debate was a great idea are going to say, well, wait a minute. We didn't mean that. You know, we didn't mean you can pass these anti-environmental bills. Man, yeah. Right, you know? this, this, is, this is like sports. This is like a full-on sport, but we're running countries this way, and it's affecting right. human <laughs> beings and, and, and nature. Got to go there, you know. I'll, I'll stand for our parks no matter what. I'll get up in that tree and not come down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I've been told that well, I need to just keep doing what I do instead of do that. But, but um, really, I well, think I it's... Think if, if, if your listeners want to have a fun read learn yeah a little, learn a little bit or maybe maybe a lot about washington in a fun format well, you some, just taught me a bunch thank you with <laughs> characters uh my my website is georgefranklinauthor.com and you can send me an email and if you got a question about any of these things i'll be glad to answer if sometimes yeah and you're I'm, on social on media the, too you're on, on facebook the, yeah yeah not as much i don't i do linkedin um but I, I okay. really, uh, I'm on the college circuit. So if anybody, I, cool. I, I go to colleges and speak a lot, which I enjoy. That's awesome. That's Talking awesome. About lobbying and, and government relations and so on. So I'm, I'm more than accessible. I enjoy doing it. So once again, if your listeners, uh, hopefully they, they buy the book and enjoy it. And, uh, but if they have any other kind of questions or interest in any of this, just pop me a note at george at georgefranklinauthor.com. Thank you so much, George. It's been a pleasure. And, and yeah, you've given me some good fodder there to, to chew on um, as I keep finishing your book, which, by the way, everyone, you do need to go get it. Again, it is called A Feeding Frenzy in Washington. We all know it is. Um, so check it out. And again, the website is georgefranklinauthor.com. And we also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Books Forward. Uh, go check them out if you're an author at booksforward.com. They represent the best. And I mean it. We've been, you know, yeah, like terrific. I said, uh, they yeah. are, um, they, they're the best. Um, you know yeah. what? And we just, we love them and they represent really good authors of all genres. I think even today's show, um, we've got crime. We've got mental health. We've got kids books. We've got everything going on. So, um, we, and politics and crime. Ah, did I put that in the same sentence? Sorry, George. <laughs> You're being redundant. You're being redundant. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thank you so much, George. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Bye bye.